and your teachers, what do we say? You are sent. Amen. Amen. It is a joy to be with you today. There's a picture up on the screen. Any of you from Asa, you may recognize a few of those people. Uh, before Amy and I moved down here to Louisville, we were part of a Nepali-speaking church up in Rochester, New York, called Lighthouse Christian Fellowship Church. And for, we worked with them for about five years, and for three years straight, that was our church. Every Sunday afternoon, for anywhere between two and three hours, we went to Nepali church. And we made some lifelong friends. We were just up there a few weeks ago and got to share service with them. That's just a taste of the people that were in the room. I want you to picture a sanctuary a quarter of the size of this room with about a minimum, any given Sunday, 100 people in it. it it's very un-American, and it was a blast because it was very kingdom of God. So I bring you greetings from Lighthouse Christian Fellowship Church, Pastor Dinesh Rai and his family, uh, Associate Pastor Sarbajet Magar, who used to be a Buddhist monk, and then Jesus saved him and raised him up in ministry. God is doing amazing things all over this country through people from Bhutan and Nepal that love Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, Asa, I, I bless you today in the name of the Lord, and I'm very, very, very grateful that you are here in Antioch. I'm glad we turned out too. Amen? Amen. So, we're... We're going to choose three verses today that we're going to dig into, and, and we're going to stand in a second and read these verses. Then I'm going to let you ponder a couple different titles. I've got two different titles. I'm not sure which one we want to use. So when we get to the end, I'm hoping you'll help me decide what we're going to call this. Okay? So if you are willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Would you? Yes. From the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, the first three verses, and it says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." Amen. By the way, if you haven't noticed, Nepali sometimes has more words than English. <laughs> I just always trust that there's not extra preaching going on. Amen. 
So like I said, there are two title possibilities. Here is the first one. Easier said than done? So you see, that ends with a question mark, like, easier said than done? Now here's the second title choice. Because it was said, it must be done. So we're going to just simply walk through these scriptures. It's not going to be a really long message unless I add about, well, anyway, I'll try not to do that. But we want to really wrestle with, are these things that are just set out there and ah, this is just so hard and I don't know if I can do it? Or does Jesus really expect us to walk this way? You can translate any part of that that you want. I didn't understand a word, but you did great. Okay, you may be seated. But be pondering those two possible titles. So over the past few years, our world has been shaken by a global pandemic. Wars and rumors of more wars. Political unrest. Financial instability. Racial strife. And a, and a general fracturing of the things that used to hold us together as a country. During this time, millions of people have discovered that their mental health has also been fractured. And it has left people feeling beaten down, hopeless, and sometimes even suicidal. On top of all that, we're in the middle of the worst inflation our country has known in decades, and nobody seems to know what to do about it. So let's be honest, it's not just non-Christians that have been affected by these things. Many sincere believers have had their world turned upside down, probably many of us. Churches have experienced division, churches have split, churches have fallen apart. The word evangelical is no longer honored and respected like it used to be either. So it seems like everything that could be a mess 
is a mess. And the incredible, amazing miracle is that it is into that mess that God's word still speaks. It reminds us of who we are. How we should behave. How we should treat each other. So the character traits we're going to look at have nothing to do with political parties or nationalistic identities. Instead, these things are going to call us to remember how citizens of God's kingdom should act. So let's walk through these phrases from Ephesians and remind ourselves how we should behave toward each other and even toward the lost for the sake of the gospel. So when Paul wrote this, he was a prisoner, not of Rome, but for the Lord. And he told us that we should walk in certain ways. The first thing he mentions is with all humility and gentleness. <laughs> That's okay. Sometimes even in English, these are words, well, we know what they mean, but we could never explain them. <laughs> so let, let's talk about it. So being humble does not mean that you are weak or worthless. It doesn't mean you walk around like this. I am being humble. It doesn't mean I am so proud of the fact that I am humble. One of the things that it, that it means is that that we are a humble person is strong, actually strong enough to choose not to be filled with pride. Humble people are good listeners. Humble people recognize when other people are better at something than they are. 
And they're okay with that. Humble people know that it is God who exalts and lifts them up, not their own strength or wisdom. So the Bible is filled with examples of contrasting humility and pride. God wants us to remember that he is the one that puts us out, gives us opportunities, lifts us up. So we should walk humbly in our relationships with each other. So being humble also makes it easier to be gentle, to show gentleness toward other people. Because when you're humble and gentle, you don't have to always try to be the best. Or the boss. So how humble and gentle do the scriptures tell us to be? We are supposed to be completely humble and gentle. So let's take about 10 or 15 seconds right now and just quietly pray to yourself that God would help you, and I'll do the same, help us to be humble and gentle. Okay, let's just take a moment and pray. Lord, thank you that you hear that prayer. Now, the next character quality here is the word patient. Patient. Raise your hand if you love it and you embrace it. You get all excited when somebody wants to tell you to be patient. I don't see any hands. <laughs> Most of us groan at the thought of being told to be patient. Waiting is not an easy thing to do. That's why all of our cars have horns. That's not in the notes. 
the Lord tells us perhaps the hardest kind of patience to have, and that is patience towards other believers. Maybe especially toward the people we go to church with. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand because offenses could come, but just think, have, have you or I ever been impatient with somebody that we go to church with? Now, I'll be honest, this is really hard for me, personally. I just don't understand why everybody else can't see what I see. And I don't understand why everybody else can't respond the way I would respond. Now, God's word offers us a correction to my attitude, and if you identify with that at all, maybe towards yours too, when it goes on to say that we need to bear with one another. So the one another piece of this is where patience is needed, it's tested, and it's refined. Christ-honoring patience is not just waiting in a vacuum for something to happen. It's waiting in community, in relationship with other people. Being patient in a room by yourself would be easy. Being patient when we have to interact with other people, we really get tested. Because sometimes other people can drive us crazy. Now, 
Now, let's make each other feel better. Raise your hand if you've ever known another believer that you thought was driving you crazy. Amen? Okay, we're all in this together, right? Okay. So we demonstrate our patience in, in English, we say in the crucible, or in the, we could say in the frying pan of learning to bear with each other. So which takes us to our next phrase, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. That's okay. So here's here's where the, the crux of this for me as I worked on this message. Because to bear with literally means to endure something unpleasant or difficult. See, God's word doesn't just say be kind and loving and really syrupy Christians. It says to put up with each other when the other person is acting like somebody unpleasant or difficult. So let's look at another scripture that kind of reinforces this. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. God's challenging us to put up with each other, to bear with each other, to endure one another, even when we're difficult, and to forgive just like Jesus forgave us. And I think we can all admit this goes beyond outward actions and it cuts right to the inner heart. How many times have we greeted someone that we knew that we had an issue with but we put on our happy face because we're in church? 
But Jesus sees through that. Now, I'm guilty of that sometimes, and I imagine that some of us are too. But will we allow God to convict us so that we realize as he has forgiven us so much, we need to forgive much towards those other people? Well, let's jump to the next slide. Let's talk about unity of the spirit. Now, it would be nice to think that our unity is something that God does for us. Without our participation. Wouldn't it be nice if God just made us united? Well, he has in one sense, we have been made united with each other, with him in Christ and seated in heavenly places. But that positional unity doesn't always show up in actual real life, does it? God will certainly help us walk in unity. But he also tells us that we have a part to play in whether we remain united or not. We're supposed to make every effort be eager to maintain our unity. Our unity is not based on some kind of common agreement. It's not based on our common agreement about politics, worship styles, favorite theologians, or anything like that. The unity that God does for us and with us is a unity of the spirit, but we have to also eagerly pursue it. We have to want to lay hold of it. We have to want it, folks. We have to want this unity. We can't just sit around and even say, Jesus, give us unity. And he will say back to us, 
I will do that, but you must walk in right relationships with each other to enjoy that unity. So the Bible goes on and tells us unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, when I think of the bond of peace, I think of literally something maybe wrapped around us that holds us together. Or maybe the bond of peace is like heavenly superglue. <laughs> Raise your hands if you've ever superglued your fingers together. <laughs> well, there is a heavenly cement. There is a heavenly process by which God puts us together in ways that maintains our unity. It is the peace that Jesus gives. Now this peace can't just be of the world because we've already said, hey, the world's a mess, right? The peace can't come from the world because the world is a mess. If we are dependent on the world to give us unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, we will never enjoy that. The bond of peace that Paul is referring to can only be found in Jesus. And here is what Jesus said in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus gives us this peace. And it says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. That's okay. Amen. Jesus gives us what is needed to maintain our unity. He gives us his peace, but that's contingent on what? Well, he gives it, so it's contingent on nothing. Go ahead. So you could say that right now, if, if you wanted to picture 
the peace of Jesus is poured out upon us, it is here. But will we walk in it? Will we walk humbly with each other? Will we be gentle? Will we be patient? Will we bear with each other? Will we earnestly seek and desire and long for unity? The more we walk in those things, the more we will enjoy the peace that God gives us, the peace that holds us together. So our world is a mess. Our country is a mess. Our communities are a mess. And in too many places, God's church is a mess too. But it doesn't have to be that way. Today, Jesus offers us the opportunity to walk different than what we see out there. I, I pray that Antioch and Asa today can become and remain church families held together by the peace that only Jesus can give. The world needs to see that our unity is not a matter of politics or even doctrine. The world needs to see that we're united by God's spirit. by the love of God in our hearts for each other. That picture that I showed you at the beginning, Amy and I sincerely love those people. And I hope, I hope that as we're meeting as a combined service today, we have sincere love one for another, even across cultural lines. So the scripture said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of the calling, worthy of the calling which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What a beautiful passage 
What a beautiful celebration today. So what do you think? Should the title of this message be Easier Said Than Done? Or because it was said, it must be done. That's the one I'm going to go with. Amen? Jesus has laid out the way to walk for us to enjoy fellowship, maintain unity, and be a gospel witness to the world. He will. It's okay. Now let's remember where the power to do all of this, all of this obeying, all of this conforming, where does that power come from? Here we see where the power comes from. Not from a loaf of bread. Not from a cup of juice. But what these things represent. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke the bread. He blessed it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup. And he said, this, this represents the new covenant in my blood. Poured out for you. And whenever... He said to us, whenever you eat this bread or partake of this cup, you are to proclaim the Lord's death. See, because he died and rose from the dead, we who were dead in sin can rise to new life in Christ. Because he did what only he could do, now we can do everything he asks us to do. This table represents what it took to grant us a chance for unity. This this, ta- this table represents the power of the gospel so that we can forgive each other. This table represents the lengths God was willing to go to to redeem some from every tribe and nation and people and language.
Our tradition here at Antioch, and Asa, you are invited also today, is to come forward and break off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. We'll have two lines, and they'll be gluten-free available on this side. If you are a baptized believer, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and followed him into the waters of baptism, this is a meal for you. A meal. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, this meal is not for you. But what you can do today to take is you can take Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if you're not sure if you are in God's family through Jesus, there'll be people at the back that can pray with you to clarify that, to pray you in, with you into the kingdom of God and meet any other prayer needs you have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Would you translate the two? Lord Jesus, thank you for your body and your blood. Thank you that only through the power of the gospel can we be born again. Only by believing in your death and resurrection, your life, can we find life from the dead. Only through accepting what you have done for us can we ever do what you ask of us. Would you help us now as we celebrate the Lord's table together? Make us one like we've never been one before. For your glory, Jesus. Amen.